0: Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Luke 19. Luke 19, if you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament starts with Genesis. The New Testament starts with Matthew. Luke is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, you're like, what's the difference? Well, in the simplest form, the Old Testament is before the birth of Jesus, and the New Testament is from the birth of Jesus on. Yes, I know you Bible scholars know there's more to it than that. We're talking about people who are still learning their way around the Bible, so just send me an email and, and I'll delete it. And so anyway... Um, um, <laughs> well, since we're telling the truth, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, today for a lot of you is going to be pretty foundational. You're going to be like, man, I came to church for this, but I think it's, I think it's good. I think we need to be reminded of it, and especially in our culture, there's so many things, you know, that are just going on. That I, you know, my job as your pastor is to equip you, to give you the truth. So that, so that you're able to answer and so, again, that you're reminded that we're reminded of who we are and, and what being a Christian and a Christ follower is about. So I know for some of you, like, oh, yeah, I know this. Yeah, I know this. I know this. And for some of you, um, uh, you know, you, you may have never heard this before. You're one or you may not even agree with this. And I'm, and I'm OK with that. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're going to talk about this over the next few weeks. While you're there, I want to read to you from Matthew 16. You stay there in Luke 19. Matthew 16 says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Now, listen, the thing about this, you know, we, there's two questions we can ask, and one is more significant than the other. I'm going to give you the insignificant question, first of all, and that is, in our culture today, who do people say that Jesus is? You think about that, you know, that there's a lot of people that they like him, they like who they believe he is, some, some have even tried to describe him, and quite, quite honestly, some in their description of him, they've not accurately described him. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is let him describe himself. Let him tell us who he is. And so, so he asked, but then he asked him the really important question. is not what do other people say that I am. But then he asked this question. He said that Jesus replied, he said this, he goes, but who do you say I am? That's the most significant question that any of us can answer. It's more important than any other question we, we answer, and that is who is Jesus to me? Who is he to me? It, it impacts our eternity. Not just this life, but the, what takes place after our bodies pass. And so he said, who do you, who do you say that I am? And it um, and says, so Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So I I like I've talked about this before, but I love the background here that where he is, that he's in Caesarea Philippi, and in that it's a city that you know uh, that Herod had given in part of its name to honor Caesar to get favor with him and, and that type of thing. And in this city at that time, there was a pagan temple. And it was incredibly, it was built strongly. It was one of those things that everything about it said permanent. And Jesus is talking to this, this seemingly fragile, small group of believers that had no political influence, no military influence, no economic influence. They were just there. They seemed fragile. They seemed anything but permanent. And he said to them, he said, the recognition of who he said, when Peter said, you're the Christ, son, living God, he said, I'm going to build my church on this. My community, my movement, my ecclesia, I'm gonna build it on the recognition of who I am. And he said the gates of hell can't even prevail against it. So with this structure in the background that said permanent, said forever, it, with this small group of people that people thought would probably pass when their follower eventually was either arrested or executed, I'm sorry, their leader either arrested or executed, that Jesus said, no, 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 this is what's Permanent. This community is formed upon the recognition of who Jesus is. And so here's why that's so important is because who Jesus is in reality, listen to this, who he is in reality determines who he should be to me. When I really understand who Jesus is, why he came, then that should tell me who he was intended to be for me. And not only that, but and who I am without him and who I am with him. So when I realize who he is, he's revealing to me that he's saying, Rick, this is who I am. And the reason this is who I am, because this is who you need. So I say all that. I'm, I'm really confident over the next few weeks, there's going to be some things I share that are, are going to challenge some of you. And it's, you know, and that, that's okay. We still love each other. I'm mature enough to be challenged by you and still love you Want you to be part of my life. You know, if you're not, good luck having a bunch of temporary friends. And so, um, but, but the, you know, that, that's what we're going to look at. And so t- today is, uh, you know, we're going to talk about uh, who, one of the things that he said that he is and why he came. So in Luke uh, 19, yeah, many of you familiar, you know, Jesus was he was going to a city. There was a guy near, there named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector, which meant he was despised by his own people. Tax collectors would purchase the right. From the Romans to collect taxes from their own people, charge incredible fees. They got rich by it, and then use the rest of the money to give to Rome, so they could fund Rome's occupation of their own land. You you can obviously see that we, you know, in America, like I'm I'm an American, I'm a U.S. citizen. I love my nation. Yes, it's got some messes in it and stuff like that. But but I just think that you know that, that there are some things about this nation that's had some divine providence, and so I would really struggle with a person that I viewed as a traitor. And that's how tax collectors were viewed. And Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming to town, and so it says that he climbed up in a tree so that he could get a better view of him. He just heard about him and probably didn't count on any, having any kind of engagement. A tree is not someplace you go when you're really looking to get close and personal. I'm gonna get in this tree, maybe Jesus will be up here too. You know what I mean? That wasn't his thought. And so he goes and he climbs in the tree. So let's pick up in verse five. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. He knew him. Jesus knows your name. Called him by name, Zacchaeus. He said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. So he sees him, he says, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to go to your house today. And again, you know, I've said this before when we talk about Zacchaeus, one of my favorite people, you know, the song can't but help, you know, run through my head, I'm going to your house today, I'm going to your, anyway, so I shared that earlier and somebody said the whole first service, they couldn't get that song out of their head and hopefully I've just done the same thing to you. So anyway, so he, it was one of those things, Zacchaeus didn't run up to Jesus or anything like that, Jesus saw him, called him by name and said, hey, get down here, man, I'm going to go eat with you. I think I'm going to start adopting that. but I'm going to look around and hey, I'm supposed to have supper with you today. What are we having? <laughs> if it's not very good, I'm like, man, I miss God, you know. But if it's good, it's like, yeah, that's where I'm supposed to go anyway. That's what he did. So, so it says this. It said that he someone to go to your house. Say Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. In other words, he's not, he's not worthy to have Jesus in his home. Why would Jesus eat with this guy? He's gone to be the of the notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Listen to this. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. He came to seek it. In other words, Jesus said, one of the reasons why I'm here is to to find people like Zacchaeus, who somewhere along the way, he lost his way. That he drifted from the plan of God that in him that there was this brokenness that took him to a point that not only did he betray himself, but he betrayed his own people. And Jesus said, this is why I came. Why would you eat with him? He's why I'm here. And over and over again, Jesus says that. One of my other favorite moments of the scriptures in Mark 2 Another tax collector was a guy named Levi. We know him as Matthew. He wrote the book of Matthew, which is an eyewitness account of Jesus and his ministry. But Matthew wasn't always a godly person. He was a tax collector. And Jesus called him. He said, follow me. And so in Mark two, he, Jesus went to his house. Elia invited him over and, and he, to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law were, who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, "Why does he eat with such scum? What a loving term!" Why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. It's his very mission, it's his very purpose. When we become Jesus followers, if we're following him closely and rightly, it becomes part of our concern as well. This nonsense that we as Christians, that our faith is personal and we shouldn't share it, that didn't come from following Jesus. What if that was his mindset? Well, you know, I mean, things are good up here in heaven, but, I, you know, I don't want to interrupt their life. If I go down there, you know, and just, you know, and that type of thing and talk to them about the fact that they're lost or broken, you know, it's really kind of a personal thing. No, we would all be lost, doomed, destined toward eternity without God in hell. And yet Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost, it, that when you look, if you're taking notes, number, number one is this, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Not just be available for them, but to look for them. Now, here's the reality. That's all of us. That's all of us. We're, we're all without Jesus, lost. We're all without him, broken. So Pastor Rick, did, did he come for everybody? Well, here's the challenge is that there are some people that won't have no awareness that they're lost or broken. That, that you know, there's just, you know, the religious leaders, that instead of saying, me too, can I, can I come with you? They were critical of who he hung out with. Over and over again, Jesus got criticized because of who he was with because in the religious community, it wasn't acceptable. And, and his being with them was not affirmation of their behavior. He wasn't saying, well, hey, they're okay. No. When he was with Zacchaeus, something happened in that conversation. He didn't look at Zacchaeus and go, Zacchaeus, even though you're a tax collector, I still love you, buddy. You just keep it up. No, Zacchaeus was so impacted that he said, look, man, I'm, I've been cheating people. I'm never going to do that again. Matter of fact, I'm not only going to give him back what I've taken from them. I'm going to give back four times as much as I've stolen from them." There was an encounter that brought about real change in Zacchaeus' life. When he met with Levi, who we knew as Matthew, that he was so changed by that encounter. Wasn't Jesus meeting with him and saying, wasn't Jesus' way of saying, I'm okay, you're okay. No, when he met with him, something took place in that encounter that all of the criticism by the religious community in the world could never bring about real change in Matthew's life. All the disownment by his own people, all the disownment by his family never brought about real change. It may have brought about great pain or it may have caused great anger where he just entrenched even harder. But there was something about the encounter with Jesus and recognizing who he is and why he was there that caused Matthew to say, I'm never doing that again. And Jesus tells us right here that he didn't show up to put a seal of approval on humanity and their brokenness. He came to rescue us in our brokenness. Yeah, go ahead and clap, go ahead and clap, And I'm telling you right now. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Me. You. There's all sorts of tags and labels that culture wants to put on Jesus. Culture as a whole still likes Jesus, but the challenge is that sometimes the Jesus they like, if they in reality knew who Jesus says he is, that I'm just going to tell you there's times in in my life where he challenges me, where he won't let me rest in my self-pity, where he won't let me, you know, just kind of bathe in my disobedience. He He loves me, but he confronts me with it. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Over the next few weeks, like today, we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus identified himself as Savior. Next week, we'll talk about him as our shepherd, that he leads us and guides us and speaks to us and provides for us. The week after that, we'll talk about him as our advocate, that he prays for us. He he intercedes on our behalf. And then the following week, we'll talk about him as Lord, the lordship of who he is, but he identified himself as savior, the one that's that's come to seek and save, that's lost. If you're here today and your own brokenness has kept you away from church, kept you away from God, then I want to give you good news, and that is, is that you're exactly who Jesus is looking for. Your awareness of the broken places in your life doesn't disqualify you, it qualifies you. And so, just make you aware of that. So number one is this, is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Go with me, if you would, to Acts 4. You're in Luke, the next book over is John, and then after that is Acts. Now, here's the interesting thing, of all things, a guy named Luke wrote the book of Luke. And you're like, who wrote the book of Acts? Well, not a guy named Acts, okay? A guy named, <laughs> a guy named the same guy wrote the book of Acts. He traveled with Paul and he wrote this. And so in Acts chapter four, Peter, one of the apostles, is preaching. And so it says this in verse eight. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, we are being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man. Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you build is rejected, has now become the cornerstone. Listen to this, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So Jesus, again, identifying who he is, says this about himself. The second thing is, is that Jesus is the only answer to sin, Again, that's so uncomfortable. Well, Pastor Rick, I just believe there's many ways. Well, you're wrong. I mean, I I don't know how to tell you. I mean, I'd like to like, you know, soft pedal it. But again, if we're going to let Jesus identify who he is and not me and what makes me feel comfortable. You know, just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's not true. Jesus identifies himself as the only way. The only answer at another time when he's talking to his disciples, they said, you know, hey, one of the disciples said, Show us the way to the Father. And he goes, Look, man, I am the way, not a way, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He went on to say, No one comes to the Father except through me. That's either a truth or he's an incredible deceiver. But Jesus because he came into the world, one of the things that he is, he was intended to be a savior. So that says to me that because he is savior, that his relationship with me is that I'm in need of saving. If that's why he came, then it says that I need that from him. It says that I'm broken. That I've sinned, that I've lied, that I've been selfish, that I've been dishonest, that I've lusted, that I've been, uh, you know, that I've gotten angry with people and, and just all of these things that, we would, I, that I've taken God's name in vain and I've put things before Him. I'm not okay. I can present a good front, but without Him, I'm lost. I'm not a mistake in need, uh, in need of correction. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Amen. You know, in the Old Testament in Genesis 3, whenever Adam and Eve sinned and were in disobedient, you know, they, they experienced something they'd never experienced before, and that was shame. And they experienced this shame, and you know, in the reality, they didn't know how to respond, so, so they put fig leaves on themselves. You know, it wasn't just in response to like, I've never noticed it before. You have no clothes on. It wasn't that. It was just, I just think there was just this awareness for the very first time they experienced shame because of their disobedience because they chose to not trust God. And so they just they were trying to just, you know, accommodate or navigate the way their way through this brokenness, and they put these fig leaves on, and God shows up. And when they hid from him, he still pursued them. Where are you? And he's such a picture of us in our own life that until we recognize who Jesus is, he's not just this good man, not just this great historical figure that spoke truth to power. He came into a lost and broken world. And the challenge with this culture is that we look at the world and we realize that it's broken, but we all think we're good. No, it's broken because of us. And so we have our own fig leaves. Some of us trust in our own goodness. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. Some of us trust in the fig leaves of universalism. Well, I think there's many ways. Well, if that's true, then Jesus is a liar. Some of have the have the fig leaf of, of, just, you know, of just, you know, that if, if my beliefs don't, li- if my life doesn't line up with my beliefs, then I either change my life or change what I believe. And the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus, as we look at him and we realize that he's a savior, he's the savior of the world. That to me then he was called for me to experience who he is in reality. I don't get to dictate or determine who he'll be to me. He tells me that these are the terms that you receive me on. He's savior. So some people don't receive Jesus because they have their own fig leaves. Well, I'm just as good as anybody else. Well, I think there's many ways. And I don't say this, you know, it's hard to say these things without sounding harsh. My appeal is not to be harsh. My appeal is to reveal the truth and to compel us to be drawn to the way, to the Father. Compel us to be drawn to the goodness of God, to the life giver, to the lover of your soul to the one that surrendered himself and offered himself up as a sacrifice, as the only sacrifice that was worthy. If there are multiple ways, if Jesus is only a way, then how unjust for him to be put through all of those things to become sin for humanity, to experience such a moment for for the first time ever, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would he be required to go through all of that if there were multiple ways? Something so extreme and so horrific has to in itself signify and reveal to us that it had to be done this way because this is the only way it could be done. And so Jesus, in revealing to us that he's our savior, he shows us second of all that he is the only answer to sin and we can have all the fig leaves. Well, I have good self-esteem. Self-esteem without Jesus is an insufficient fig leaf. Only with him can we be rescued. Only with him can we have a relationship with him. Only with him can we receive the forgiveness and the goodness of God and the mercy of God. He didn't go to Zacchaeus' house that day because Zacchaeus was the only one that was broken. He went to Zacchaeus' house because Zacchaeus was the only one that realized he was broken. He would, yeah. He would have gladly went to any Pharisee's house that acknowledged and realized, this religious system isn't making it. I'm empty. But they were too busy with the fig leaf of their own system that allowed them to pronounce judgment on the lives of others instead of recognizing on their own that I'm broken and Jesus is the answer to my brokenness, that without him, I'm lost. So, number two is Jesus is the only answer to sin. Let's look at number three and we'll close with this. Go with me, if you would, to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, you're in Acts. The next book over is Romans, then 1 and 2 Corinthians, then Galatians, and Ephesians. Ephesians 2, verse 4. So how do, I, how do I access that? If that's, if that's why he came, he came to seek and save that which was lost. Let me say this again, just kind of a side thought. When I begin to follow him, that his purpose becomes my purpose. This will never be a social club. This will be a place where anybody's welcome. Now, and again, you're welcoming each one of us, no matter who we are, it's not an affirmation of our brokenness saying, well, that's okay. No, no, we're welcome because the only remedy for any of our sin is Jesus, And so, we may not be broken in the same place, but there's some place in our life that we need Jesus. And so, how do we access that in Ephesians chapter two, verse, let's start with verse four. It says this, but God is so rich in mercy. Aren't you glad? He's rich in mercy. That means he's got lots of it. We think about people that are rich in something, it's like, they got a lot of that. He's rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, he loved you so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So, we access who he is by believing who he said he is. Now, believing is not just an intellectual acknowledgement. It's not just me saying, yes, I believe that. No, 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 believing is one of those things where all of a sudden we receive that and it impacts how we live our lives. It, it impacts how we see ourselves. Again, I'm not just a, this person just kind of wandering along just kind of doing my best and that should be enough. No, 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 no. I realize without Jesus, man, I'm incredibly lost. That without him, that that I'm lost, that I'm broken. You know, it, it just, you know, and, and the longer we walk with him, it, it should just be, we should become more aware of our need for him. It shouldn't be, well, I've been saved now for 20 years, and I'm doing way better. No, 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 I've been saved now for 20 years, and one thing I've discovered is I'm more aware now than ever how much I need him. Amen. And so... We receive him to be a part of that in our life and in our world that he is our Savior. He's not just one of many. He's the Savior. And I receive him. This is who he is. Man, I was praying last night, and I was like, Lord, I, I just want I, I to share this in a way that it doesn't feel like I'm beating people over the head, but I want to share it passionately enough that we connect and engage with this wonderful truth. And that we're compelled and those of us that have walked with him for a while, not perfectly, but walked with him for a while, that we're not bored by it, but we're just more grateful as the reality of what that means becomes even clearer in our life. And that anybody that's in church that's never really heard this or never really understood it, that they're drawn to it. And those that maybe that have resisted it That in all of this, even if they still disagree with me, they still hear this from my heart. I still love you. I still want you here. I'm sharing this passionately. Not to condemn you or to beat up on you. I'm sharing this passionately because I want you to experience the grace of God and who Jesus is in reality instead of who somebody else has made him to be because they're more comfortable with a false version of who he is than the reality of who he said he is and who he came to be in their life. And so, you know, the way that we receive him is that the way we have access to is we receive him. Jesus becomes my savior when I believe in him. There has to be a recognition that I'm lost without Jesus. There has to be a recognition that you're lost without him. Until you recognize that, until I recognize that, then I see no need for him. Well, I really don't need Jesus. Then you're not aware of your brokenness. Are you judging me, pastor? No, I'm telling you the reason why I need him, because I know how broken I am. Even as a Christian, there have been times that I've tried to live my life without his influence. You know, a period of time in my marriage, I know that Tina and I, we just, in our own insecurities and things like that, there were areas that we struggled in and and my insecurity began to just take root and began to reveal things. I began to see everything through that and at some point I got very bitter towards her. And when I got bitter, then all of a sudden I quit hearing the voice of God and I kind of just tried to begin to live my life my way because I felt Justified. And I was amazed how that bitterness, the damage it could do to our marriage, and not just our marriage, but to our family. And one day I got confronted by that in such a way that I realized this has been so destructive that my heart was broken. And conviction set in, which reminded me again that I never get to a place that I don't need Jesus to be a part of my world. There's not any part of my world that's better without him. Jesus told a story about two men that went up to synagogue, and how one guy trusted in his works, and he got up in the synagogue and he began to pray, and he said, "Thank you that I tithe, Thank you that I do these things. Thank you that I'm not like this guy." Can you imagine that guy? Who do you think you are? That other guy it says that when he came up, he was aware of his brokenness so much that when he would look up to heaven, and he began to talk about, it, began to be aware of his need for God. And Jesus said, his humility. Him not relying upon the fig leaf of his own behavior and his own good works caused him to leave that place justified. That his awareness of, God, I'm broken without you caused him to receive Jesus in his life. We don't get to receive Jesus and live with him on our terms. He reveals to us who he was meant to be for us. And he was meant to be the Savior that comes into the world whose mission is not just to wait and be accepted for those that are lost, but to seek and save those that are lost. I love what Romans 5 says. It says this, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came just at the right time and died for us. I just think about that verse, you know, there's that great spiritual movie called The Dark Knight Rises. It's a, it's a Batman movie. I'm sure many of you have watched it. And there's, there's a part in there, you know, and, and, and I, I, like, I like superhero movies and that type of thing. My son, he is like the superhero genius. He's a great reader. What does he read? Like the classics. Well, he's read those, but mostly comic books. And so he's here in the front row and so he'll read he'll read a book. You didn't know, you're going to be part of the message today, did you? So <laughs> So, but he'll, like, when a Batman movie comes out, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'm gonna watch it. they will say, hey, man, I, I saw it. You gotta go see the Batman movie. Here's, here's what came. And so he'll begin to tell me, and he'll kind of compel me, so I'll go watch it and that type of thing. And so, Dark Knight Rises, you know, and Batman, he's, he's usually the guy that, he comes in and he's like the arm of justice, you know? He beats up the bad guys and that type of thing, and just, you know, I mean, you know, I want to start singing my eyes or seeing the glory when I see Batman. Anyway, so, so, so but in this movie, Catwoman is there and, and, you know, big deal Catwoman's there. But anyway, there's a part in there which I thought, you know, was just so interesting that, um, that with Catwoman that she was looking for this instrument called the clean slate. She had lived her life in such a way that eventually all the things that she'd done in the past had caught up with her present. And it wasn't just imp- impacting her present, but it was impacting what she wanted for her future. And she felt limited because of her past. And this instrument was supposed to remove every thing, every memory, every digital thing, every record of all the things that she'd done wrong, and she would have a clean slate, and then she could go out and live the future that she saw herself. But the truth of the matter is, is that that was just fiction. It was just a movie. And so I could tell you that, and there's something about that that's kind of appealing, especially when we have such brokenness. I would just love to just have something like that where, where, you know, because right now I see my past is caught up to who I am, and I feel so limited in what I can do when I see my future because I've done so many broken things. And I wish I could tell you that in reality there was that, but there's just not. But you know what is a reality? That God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. He was no longer counting your sins against you. He gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation so we're Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us, through me. Speak for Christ when I plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for your sin, for my sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That if you have lived in such a way that your past has gotten to a place that it goes with you everywhere, that is so public, so known now, that anytime anybody looks at you, that's all they can see, and now it's how you see yourself. And so it hasn't just impacted where you've been or what you've done, but you feel like your future is limited because of the broken things. Let me tell you something, that you're a candidate today to hear this, and that is that you're who Jesus is looking for. And he's the clean slate that forgives you and that restores you and causes you not just to be forgiven, but he restores your innocence and you become a new creature in Christ that old things are passed away and all things are become new and you can begin to live out the future that you've dreamed about because of what Jesus has done for you. He is the savior of humanity, of anybody that acknowledges their brokenness and receives him. He's Savior. He's the only way. Not because God is close-minded, but because He's just. And because He loves you. He's your clean slate. I want you, just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. I want us just to spend a moment with God. Some of you, you know, this morning, I know this has been very basic things you've known as a child but and if you're there then just my hope is you just take this moment to be grateful. Not like that Pharisee was, not because you can quote off all the good things that you've done, but because you know in reality who you are without Jesus. Some of you have known that, but you've just kind of distanced yourself from him. Let this be a call to come back. Come back. Some of you have wrestled with this. I know in this culture, especially the reality of there is no other way is uncomfortable for some people. And, and, uh, you know, I I just, I can't in good conscience validate that non-truth. He is, he's the only way. And it should compel us to not just be hearers and receivers of this truth, but to be go-tellers of this truth. And so for you, even if you're not there yet, just spend this moment talking to God. Hardly ever does it happen overnight for most of us. It's this ongoing conversation that at some point the reality of who we are awakens and it awakens in me the reality of why I need him. When I get to that point where I recognize who I am without him, And how I'm not okay without Jesus. My hope is, is that you experience him this morning. That Jesus is here and that you encounter his presence. That he deals with you. I'm I'm just going to be quiet for a minute and just let you, wherever you're at in your walk, talk to him.